with the banks and the billions of dollars and resources that they have, if they could create the automatic lead gen to pull in the billions of clients only to them and service those clients, you don't think they would cut out not only us, their own sales forces? Hell yes. 100%. Like they, 100%. Of course they would. Like banks are not like they're corporations, right? They're here to earn money. They're not here to kumbaya. Let's all hold hands. Like it's, we're going to make the most amount of money. But you know what that goes to show you? It goes to show you what I keep talking about. You need technology, but they recognize you need people. You also need, you need people. People yeah. need people. You need people. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Francis Inajosa. This is part two of our conversation. If you missed the last one, go back and listen to how we talk about the idea of toxic positivity. And in this episode, we talk about overcoming failure, facing failure and adversity. And of course, in the current market, that is something that more and more people are struggling with. I think you'll leave away with some ideas for how to face some of this stuff. Before I jump into that, let me give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use. It's got some cool features like smart submission notes. So as you go to hit submit to the lender, it pulls key data from the application to make it really easy for your lender to decision your files. Check them out at lendesk.com slash Finmo and check out this conversation with Francis. Hey, Francis, welcome back to the uh, show. Hey, Scott. Good to be here as always. So I wanted to chat about, we kind of touched on some stuff on mindset as well as just some of the challenges of the current market, the little coaching session. But in this episode, I want to talk about failure and adversity because that's something that we all face and it's how we frame it and how we look at it can make a big difference. And so maybe just explain to me, if you wouldn't mind just as a starting point, maybe share something that you'd failed at. But now looking back, there was a lesson that you were like, oh, there was some good in this you know, crappy situation. And then we'll talk about in general, just sort of how you handle them today. You know what? Failure and adversity is so key in success and in growing as an individual. I'll start off there. I think, you know, most individuals shy away from actually failing. They want to be perfect all the time. They don't want to fail. Adversity is good because it challenges the way that you think and it grounds you as an individual as to what truly is important to your core. That is what I've learned through failures and adversity that I have faced in my career. Man, I've had so many different failures. I mean, simple ones of, you know, if I go back to failure as in, let's go early on in my career. You can almost like time stamp them all the way through. Yeah, but, exactly. But, you know, everything from being turned down on jobs that when I worked at the bank, there were certain positions that I really, really wanted to get into. And I got denied those positions. I remember like so many of them were like literally tears of, you know, getting that promotion in that job. But looking back on it today, if I had gotten those jobs, then I wouldn't be where I am today in the position that I am. Like right. those failures are often sort of pivot points to redirect you on the journey of where you're supposed to go, number one. You know, a lot of times those failures that you go through are lessons that you need to learn. Sometimes through failures, there's innovation. I'll tell you a fun failure story. Sure. I remember when I first started at the bank, this was in the early 90s at the time. There was no HELOC products back in the day at that point, okay? So there's no secondary mortgage type of products. 
And remember, I was green and fresh and brand new, and you didn't have the systems that you had today. Everything was paper-based. Mm -hmm. so long story short, Klein came in, an existing first mortgage, wanted to borrow more money, didn't want to break his first mortgage. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, we can set up a second mortgage. Made sense to me. Same interest rates as the first. Yeah. And convinced the lawyer to register a second charge. Now, remember, things took time. So it was like a month later, the mortgage department calls me and says, I can't do this. And I'm like, we just did. So, you know, through a failure, I wow. inadvertently created and shifted their mindset to create a product. So, you know, some failures are bad. And I should say that all failures are good and can perceive to be bad. But in there is either a redirection or a lesson for you to grow as yeah. an individual. But that really comes down to your perception of that failure and to reflect in it and say to yourself, OK, what is this trying to teach me? Or how is this trying to redirect me? How is this trying to grow me as an individual? Right. So failure is super important. Yeah, I always think of failure as just feedback. It's sort of like just this idea that I have a hypothesis and I try something like I always think like a scientist and then sometimes, oh, it works. A lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times it's a dumpster fire and you're like, oh, okay. Maybe like, like my, roast, like my second mortgation, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was great. You can roast marshmallows over that dumpster fire. And then other times it's actually can be a good thing. Like, so because you own a brokerage and this is new for me, having a brokerage is a whole new thing. Actually, that's not true. The very first brokerage that I bought into, which was back when I was 2008, so it was a broker in 2006, 2008, I have a friend who was partnered with his real estate office, and the realtors wanted out. And so they had five or six brokers. They said, hey, you should buy into this. You know, you're a successful mortgage broker. You can mentor these people. Buy into the office, and you know, we'll split the work together. And sat down with Shannon, my wife, and she's like, this is a terrible idea. It's going to be a distraction. You're going to lose money. And they wanted $40,000, which I didn't really have at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it. I said to her, and then I went them and I did it. I came back and I said, I did it. I can't believe she didn't like want to murder me. Sure enough, within two months of doing this, my volume went down because I'm spending all this time trying to like motivate them, the unmotivatable. And then our biggest producer who we were actually making a little bit of money on decides to go somewhere else. And so then I was like, what a waste of, and then the way I recovered my $40,000 was by basically working in that office. I put my office in there and I just did deals with those real estate agents until I made back my money, you know, and eventually stayed there for a couple right. of years. But I think it was driven more by ego. I was just like, oh, if I look back at it now, was 100% ego driven. And if I were to do that deal today, so I always think, okay, I like to do this yeah. too. Think back and go, how would I do it different? I would have made some contingencies saying that, okay, I'll pay it, but it needs to stay X over Y period of time. Like if I'm going to pay you money, but if this happens, you know, or I'll pay you money gradually based on a period of would not have just written a check for 40,000 bucks because the income was dependent on the production of these yahoos. And if these yahoos leave, which I didn't even think about, like my income was gone. And so, you know, there was a lesson in that. And also just listening to something like went and she saw through it right away. She's like, this is a massive distraction. And I was like, oh, it's going to be great. Ego, man. I know. But here's the thing. I've heard a couple of things that you said there and I'll unpack it with you. You wouldn't have made the same decision today because you're not the same Scott today than you were when you made that agreement. I can't remember what you said how many years ago. You're not, you're not 2015 years ago. I would, I would slap that guy now. You're not. What are you doing? Yeah. You're not. But you know what? The reason that you're not is because you had to go through 2008 Scott, 2009 Scott, 2010 Scott every year you know, as individuals, those sort of trips in the journey that we go through and those failures that we go through 
you know, it's a choice for you. They're growth moments to help you grow. You have a decision. Again, I think I said this in the podcast earlier, you can either allow those failures to drag you down or use them as lessons to grow as an individual. Because usually when you have those failures, like how many times have you had those failures now? And you look back and you're like, wow, I needed to go through that in order to be prepared to go through what I'm going through today, because my decision-making is completely different because I had that challenge and that failure and I went through that adversity. I would not be the same person I am today if I didn't go through that. All the time. And I think, I feel like wise people can learn from other people's mistakes. I seem to have to make my own. Like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, I know it didn't work for you, but maybe it'll like, you know, some 10 other people could have said to me, Scott, this is going to be. And at the time I was just, I would not have listened. And there's certain lessons I feel like I have to learn myself and just, you tell me it's not going to work, but let me try. And maybe one out of 10 times and I actually find something that actually works. And I'm like, yes. But the other nine times it's actually a failure. I think the most wise people that I've met, the most successful people that I've had the privilege of meeting during my career, I've met some amazing, like, I'm not even talking in our industry because, I mean, I had a career before the mortgage industry and I took care of special accounts. We never named names, but took care of the elite level all the time. So, you know, these are like other level business and CEO individuals, professional athletes, musicians, you know, actresses. And it's very interesting talking with these very, very successful people is that they don't shy away from failure, but they also don't let the failure define them. And they also use that failure to sort of pass it on to other individuals and plus themselves and they use it as fuel to grow. I think very wise people not only learn from other people and their failures, but it's also in combination and some balance of also taking the risk to fail yourself right. and give yourself grace through those moments of failure and adversity. So can you think of anything that you've done in the last year that you say oh, that was either a failure, small or big? I can think of one that I'm willing to share because this doesn't go away. I always feel like as you become more experienced in business, you just solve bigger problems, bigger problems equals bigger paydays. And uh, you know, I like actually the hard problems now are more interesting to me than the easy ones. Cause it's like, that's the one yeah. that people don't want to solve. But for me, the one that I can think of back in like January, when AI became a thing, I was like, Oh, we got to have AI. We got to embed that into the brokerage. Yeah. So I spent like not an insignificant, not like tons of money, but I spent some money trying to build something out, a tool in January, February. And they quickly realized, I'm like, this is not my world. Like I know mortgages and I'm not a technologist. And so then I pulled the plug on it and decided to find a tool that actually did a reasonably good job of it rather than trying to, you know, jump on this wave of emotion that everybody's like, oh, AI is the new thing. And yeah, it's going to be great. But like, I would need to dedicate all of my time for that to have any chance. And that's not where I'm at. And so I've got to like, just use the off the shelf tool. And, you know, when I talked to the guys at Rocket, I said, what CRM do you guys use? And they're like, we use Salesforce, a Canadian Rocket team. Maybe they got 26 people on their tech team or something like some yeah. 20 some people. And I'm like, they could build their own thing. And I asked them, why don't you build your own thing? And they're like, because we can't out Salesforce, Salesforce. If we want a new tool, right. we can just plug it in. Somebody's going to build a plugin and I can click a button and have it for everybody for two bucks an account. And we'd rather use our brain power on how do we get more mortgages or improve that experience, but not on. And so I have been sucked into it at times like going, oh, I'm going to build this thing. But I think I course correct faster now. I did not go down that path very long before I was like, whoa, pull the chute. I'm done. We're killing this thing. So can you think of anything in the last year? I'm just curious if you've experienced that, like that you guys have tried or experimented with. You're like, oh, you know. I'm just curious. 
Yeah, like, you know, we were looking at launching a commercial division. We tried to put the wheels in place. You know, we started to realize, like, hold on a second. This is totally outside of what our principles are as a firm, and it's not in our wheelhouse. Like, we are really great at tri-financial. I've said this from day one. We're an advisory-based firm. Our agents all work with the same philosophies, provide advice and solutions, not interest rates. And, you know, quickly, like, to your point, because... I have failed so many times. You kind of know there's that little sort of ding, ding, ding. Hold on a second here. I know how this is going to turn out already. And you're quicker on making decisions going, okay, this makes no sense. This is not going to work out. It's a lot more work. It's not jiving with the rhythm of our organization. It's not a fit. Great idea, but time to quickly say no and move on. You know, I call it, you know, This is why, you know, Tim Hortons shouldn't serve pizza, right? Like, you see sometimes these organizations just so quick. And because of the trend, it's kind of like, oh, everybody else is into pizza. So now we have to like, no, 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 no. Like, stick to your business. It's it's interesting. And I I love that Rocket said that. And they've recognized it. You know what? Out sales first sales force. And I've seen this in our industry in the last few years is I call it the white rabbit. They're all trying to create their own internal technologies. And I'm like, you guys are like maybe brokers at best. If that, like some of the heads of these organizations, like you're not tech people. Yeah. You know, Tim Warren's why are you trying to serve pizza like brokerages? Why are you trying to create your own technology? Why don't you focus on what you do great every single day? not go with the trends that are out there. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like that there was a trend for you need to own your own tech in order to get a higher multiple, which sure, maybe that's true, but that's if you're a tech company. But when I see tech companies come into the mortgage space, and we've seen some come in recently, and I think as Ron Butler says, most of them are going to get their asses handed to them. A few of them will survive. And it's because I look at them and go, you guys have no idea what you're doing. Like you have no clue. We are the same thing in their world. We go to their world where we're going to create technology we're white belts and they're white belts when it comes to client acquisition and client conversion. And yeah, you can bring some people on to do that, but it's still, if it was that easy to do, let's be honest. Like I love working with the banks, but if they oh. can replace us and eliminate us, they would in a second, we are literally an expense line. And it's only because we can do it better that they actually work with us. If we couldn't, we would be gone in a second. I love that point, Scott. And you're absolutely bang on correct with the banks and the billions of dollars and resources that they have. If they could create the automatic lead gen to pull in the billions of clients only to them and service those clients, you don't think they would cut out not only us, their own sales forces? Oh, yes. 100%. 100%. Of course they would. Like banks are not like they're corporations, right? They're here to earn money. They're not here to kumbaya. Let's all hold hands. Like we're going to make the most amount of money. But you know what that goes to show you? goes to show you what I keep talking about. You need technology, but they recognize that you also need, you need people. People need people. You need people. I remember when I first started, when I was at the bank and I first started as a teller, ATMs just came out. And at the time, I remember the rhetoric saying, you know, the old lady would come up, the old ladies would come up and be like, oh my God, dear, you better, you know, find another job. You're going to be replaced. Those machines are going to replace all of you. None of you are going to exist anymore. There's going to be no branches at all. They're going to get rid of all of you. And I'm like, not happening, not happening. Yeah. yeah. So two things I want to talk about. One, the reason it's still a people business, is if you think about like Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, you walk into Scotiabank Arena, it's everywhere, right? 
you leave mm. and then you talk to a mortgage broker and you get a mortgage at TD Bank. Like right. if Scotia Bank could get your business from you walking, like they have the money, they have the money, the resources, but what they don't have is the relationship. And so I think, and back to like what we talked about, if you have the relationships and you are trustworthy, you're going to still get business. And as brokers, we should stick to that part, not to the distractions. The second part on the ATM thing. So I remember the first ATM came out and I thought this was cool. And I don't remember this, but the original ATM, I think it was RBC was one of the first ones that I've ever seen. And I would go there and I'd take money to go to McDonald's when I was like 16 or something. And you put your card in and then it would give you the money. But then it like, do you want to do anything else? I take the cash and just leave. And my card would stay in the machine. And then the card machine oh, happened a gazillion times. It would suck your card yeah. back in, right? It would be like swoop, card sucked into the machine. It would sit inside the machine. They probably had like have a, a whole thing to stack up cards because we did, we did at the beginning because people wouldn't remember. Yeah. So what did they do? All they did was they changed the process to say you have to take your card before you get your cash. You're never leaving the machine. So now I look at it and go, this is where process matters. This is where a smart mortgage broker can think about. Okay, we've got technology, but if we play with the process a little bit, we can create a great experience. Now, when I say do you want to do anything else? No, here's your card, here's your cash. That problem is gone. So many times I had to go into the bank, stand there, wait in line, then go, hey, I uh, left my card in your machine. And they go, okay, and they pull my ID. And so, you know, this is where new technologies, there still has to be a person and you have to think of a process. But, and the ATMs have not replaced human tellers, right? They have it, but, you know, two things I'll throw in there. Process is, I agree with you, is super important process is in conjunction, you know, technology can create process, but in order to create the best process, I believe you have to understand human behavior and you have to understand how humans think and feel in order to create the best process in place. You know, processes just can't be processes just to be automated and not have that emotional feel behind it. And your process has to change according to how the emotional state of the environment is that you're serving currently today. You can't keep it the same process that may have worked two years ago when the emotional vibration is completely different today. But, you know, going to the ATMs, you know, what you saw there, what I went through, and we'll tie this in because we're going to talk about adversity. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned in my journey is If you are the type of person that has a vision and you are very confident in what you want to bring to the table to serve to others, you will get challenged by the status quo and you will face adversity. And you have to learn how to deal with that adversity in order to grow not only your business, but to grow as an individual yourself. Yeah, I totally agree. And if you think about back understanding human nature, if you give, you know, 16-year-old Scott his 20 bucks to go to McDonald's, he's gone. Like he he's not even thinking about the card. He's not thinking about it. he's just like, I am out here. So many times I had to go to that stupid bank and I was like, it was across the street from the McDonald's I used to go to. Anyway, I literally like documentaries, especially sports ones, because sports mm-hmm. I think is a lot like business. The Arnold documentary is excellent. What do you think of the guy? I think it was amazing. But there was one about coaches and it was the Boston Celtics. I remember who the coach was and they're going into the finals and, you know, the, everybody's sitting around and he's the guy's pressure is a privilege. Every other team would give anything to be where you are today, right? To be in the finals. And I'm like, ooh, that's good. Pressure is a privilege. Pressure that we feel if we have a big business or we have a successful mortgage business, that's a privilege. And so don't act like this is some bad thing. Be like a lot of people would love to trade places with you if they could. And so I try to remind myself of that with them when I have the pressure of the stuff that we're doing. I'm just like, this is a privilege. I get to like interact with a lot of people and hopefully help them leave them better off, you know, and 
anyway, that's just my kind of last thought. What's your kind of last thoughts on adversity or what would you say to kind of leave it on a positive? I'm in complete agreement with you. Like Francis today, same thing is different. And the Francis that who I was when I started in this industry is not the same person that I am today. And a lot of that is because, yeah, I had the skin in my knee multiple times. I faced heavy adversity in this industry when I started off. I mean, I can't go into tons of detail, but most people know I had to go through a five-year lawsuit. I had to navigate through that, grow a business you know, walk into rooms where, you know, people you knew wanted to throw daggers at you and hold your head up high and move forward and push forward and not let it deflate you. But to your point, like looking back now, that was such a privilege to go through. And it may sound crazy, but I'm grateful that I went through that much adversity very early on in this career because I would not have the Immense. I would not have the confidence. I would not have the grit and the tenacity today. I wouldn't be able to deal with, you know, challenging situations that I deal with today. I have a lot more empathy than I did when I first started out. And it did a lot of good of, you know, we all have egos. It shit kicked my ego to the ground that, you know, made it very clear to me as to why I love what I do every single day and what my purpose is. And why I love to lead and mentor other individuals to their greatest good and serve them. So, you know, failure in adversity is fuel if you look at it that way. And that's really where individuals listening to this is don't be the victim. Like use those failures and adversities as lessons and figure out what it's trying to teach you and pivot and keep moving forward one step at a time. Yeah, I'll leave the last kind of thought. So Jules Ferris, one of my old business partners who bought my book of business, and we were dealing with a situation where she had, we were going to have to let go an underwriter that we brought on that was a friend of hers and it was just not the right fit. And so we were driving back from Vancouver and we were chatting and I was coaching her, but I was not trying to, I wasn't making it, but I was trying to get her to see that this is not working and we need to change something. And then she was sitting in the back and she's like, she goes, you know what? This is not happening to me. This is happening for me. This is happening exactly. so I can be a better leader. And I was like, ding, ding. In my head, I didn't do this. And I didn't do this. Like, ding, ding, ding. I was like, you, you get it. You totally get that. It sucks to have that conversation. It sucks to be like, hey, we're friends. Oh, by the way, this isn't working. And, you know, we thought it would work, but it made the path forward for what turned into a great business for her and great team and everything. And that person went on to find something that was better for them ultimately, too. So I feel like, it's happening to me, not for me, or happening for me, not to me, you know, instead of, and that's the victim. Right? Like, I think, yeah, we could talk about this for hours. Well, where can people find you online, Francis, if they want to look you up? I think my favorite is probably my Instagram, my LinkedIn. I mean, let's be honest, Facebook is falling by the wayside. I noticed that, but Instagram and LinkedIn are the two best places. So Frana Hinojosa is on LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find. If you search my name, you'll see the crazy picture. Find me there. LinkedIn is, of course, same thing. Very easy to find. I think I have a very unique name. That's one thing that's a blessing. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, thanks for chatting with me. I always love our discussions. Same, same. Thank you so much, Scott. And let's keep failing and fighting adversity. Yes. That's no, where the growth happens. We're, well, we're going to, whether we want to or not, we're going to. So it's, it's just part Holy, of it. Let's just have fun with it. Let's just have fun, yeah. right? Let's just have fun. Anyways, thank you so much. Great being here. 
Hey, thanks again for listening. Hopefully you left with some ideas or insights for your mortgage business. You can check us out at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. Set up a free power search account. You can keyword search all of our past episodes. So anything to do with mindset or realtors or financial planners or accountants, anytime those things are mentioned, you can jump right to those episodes and you can literally even see if the text so it transcribes it. You can copy and paste scripting. Very powerful thing to do. Check it out. It's totally free. And I will see you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.